Ephesians chapter 5. Thank you. Thank you. Hector, there's a cup right under, my, under that first chair right there. And that's... Thank you. My son loves to dress up. He loves costumes. He loves pretending. I mean, he is five years old, right? And... Um, when we stay at uh, Miller Children's Hospital on Thursdays is costume day. And there's people who come in to this little play uh, room that they have there and give, give away costumes. And so every Thursday that we're there, he gets a new costume. So, uh, <clears throat> so Hayden is the Avengers, okay? He's, he's, he is Hulk. He's Iron Man. He's, uh, he doesn't have Thor yet. He's got Captain America. I mean, he's got, you know, basically... Uh, you know, all the outfits. He has everything from police outfits to even a little chef outfit. And so uh, the other night we were, we were playing in his room and, and he had opened a juice bar. And so uh, he was making juice for me and uh, he had a little cup there and he's throwing things in it. He says, Daddy, I'm going to make some juice. And it's okay. And so I'm standing there waiting to, you know, paying my money to get my juice. And I said, what do you have in here? He goes, well, let's put in some strawberry and let's put in some banana and a piece of chicken. And I'm like, oh, it's, mm, oh, yes, uh, Juice and protein as well. Mmm, it's great. So he loves to dress up. Well, one of the costumes that he received was a SWAT outfit, okay? Uh, like the da-da-da, 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 right? The guys that drive the big UPS van. Uh, for those of you who remember the, the old show, right? <clears throat> uh, so the SWAT outfit, and it has this tactical vest that says SWAT on it. It has a black little hat that says SWAT on it. It has all these little, you know, things, implements and, you know, police stuff. But then his favorite thing that came with it was this little baton. He's got this little black baton that came with it as well. So I would come home when he had this uh, outfit on uh, probably a year, year and a half ago. I'd come home and he would meet me at the door and start whacking me with this little uh, baton, right? And he would say, get the bad man out of the house. Get the bad man out of the house, right? And so I'd have to run around the house and he'd chase me and, and whack me with this little baton. Well, it was all fun and, and wonderful, except for about a week of that, you know, it's like, man, I think I'm getting a bruise right here, you know? And, <laughs> And so one day, I think I'm talking to Linda, and he's standing next to me just going, you know, and just right. And finally I say, son, stop. What are you doing? And he stops. He just looks at me. He says, Dada, I'm a SWAT. So I'm swatting you. And I go, of course, of course, you're a SWAT. Like, you know, duh, you give me a SWAT outfit, you give me a swatter, what do you expect me to do? <laughs> Hayden was acting upon his belief. He was acting upon his belief. This is orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right doctrine, right belief. Orthopraxy is right living. Right belief leads to right living. 
Right belief leads to right living. Whatever we believe always impacts how we live. What I believe impacts how I live. This is why doctrine is important. All right theology or the study of God leads to doxology, the praise of God. The study of God moves us to the worship of God. In Paul's epistles, we see a pattern through almost all of his epistles. And it's a pattern of doctrine and living. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, doctrine and living. And Ephesians is no exception. In the book of Ephesians, we have six chapters. And in it, there's this amazing symmetry where the first three chapters are really doctrine, mostly doctrine, and the last three chapters are about Christian living. And right in the middle, there is a passage of doxology, of praise to God. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul dives deeply into the profound doctrine of predestination and the doctrine of election and how God has chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He moves on in chapter 2 into that famous section of that we are saved by grace through faith, that no one is saved by works. He deals with us being one in Christ. In chapter 3, he talks about the mystery of the gospel, which is that Gentiles themselves can be saved as well. And then after all this doctrine, it's almost like he can't help himself. He burst into doxology in verse 20 of chapter 3 where he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And as he finishes that doxology, he, he goes back into Christian living then and, and, then, and then expounds on what does this doctrine mean? Because of these things, this is how we should live. We should have unity in the body of Christ in chapter 4. We're new people, so we should live like new people. In chapter 5, we should walk in love. What does that mean? And he deals with relationships, slaves to masters. He deals with wives and husbands. He deals with parents and children. And finally, he ends up with the whole armor of God and teaching us how to live as Christian people. Well, we're going to look today at a verse in chapter 5. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. And even within this small verse, or these two verses... We see this same pattern of orthodoxy and orthopraxy, of Christian doctrine and Christian living. And so we're going to look at that today. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Pray with me, please. Father, we come before you again and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us in your word and you have, you have revealed your mind to us. You've revealed your heart to us. We pray, Lord, that, that you would take away our hearts of stone. Lord, if there's anyone in the congregation now who is not a believer, we ask, Lord, that you would be kind to them because we know it's your kindness that leads us to repentance that you would turn their heart, Lord. We pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would uh, rejuvenate, that you would, that you would awaken those sleeping people this morning and that they would see, they would hear, they would believe and turn in faith to you. Lord, I pray for myself also that you would crush my pride again this morning, that I would not be thinking about myself or what these people think about me, but only what you think about me. Father, help me 
to speak your word clearly, boldly, uh, unashamedly. Father, help me to not get in the way of your word or your Holy Spirit, that, that I would be transparent here. Lord, and I pray for, for this beloved congregation, your church, that you would help us, Lord, to be your people. Help us to walk as you walk. Help us to imitate you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> in this passage, then, we're, gonna, we're going to take the, the second uh, section of this passage first to see the foundation, the doctrine in this passage. It says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ loved us. Christ loved us. And it was a supreme love, a supreme love. How did he love us? How did he love us? Philippians 2, 5 through 11 tells us. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So how did he love us? He, even though he was God, he, he's not satisfied to stay in heaven among that, that, that community of God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit together, the triune God of the universe. But instead, he chooses to come down out of heaven, to come down to us and to, to condescend. We usually use that word in, kind of a, in, a, in a bad way, but, but he does. He has to come down to us to be made in the flesh, to be born of a virgin, to live among us and ultimately to die for us in humility. That is a supreme love. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 John four ten. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, what does propitiation mean? Propitiation means satisfies. He's the satisfaction. And we sing here our song, remember? We sing the song, satisfies, satisfies, satisfies. Jesus satisfies. And really, there's a double meaning to that, to that, to that word in that song for us. Yes, he satisfies me, my heart, my soul, my deepest longings, all those things that, that before Christ we're running after, right? Trying to fill that hole that only Jesus can fill. He satisfies us, right? He satisfies us. But more than that, he satisfies God and God's wrath that was upon me by taking my punishment at the cross. My brother uh, once uh, was trying to un- help my nieces. He has, he has four daughters and he was trying to help them to understand the idea of the, 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 the true truth of the gospel and the cross and this idea of propitiation. And so what happened was um, the, the, the girls had all gotten into uh, trouble. At this time, they were about uh, 10 and 8 and 9 and, you know, uh, 5 or 6. Or anyway, but, but it was one of those situations where they all, they all got off. They were all in trouble. 
they all had disobeyed and uh, sinned grievously in my brother's household. And so my brother and sister-in-law came together and uh, had a family meeting. And the girls, uh, <clears throat> what, what ended up happening was my brother said he wanted to have them uh, put on trial. Okay, and so he thinks, okay, you know, some uh, dad thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really play this out. And so, so we had a, a, a trial for the girls for what they had done and how they'd been disobedient. He was the judge, so he put this big. He gets his bathrobe, right? <laughs> Puts it on, you know. My sister-in-law, Kenry, you know, says, you know, all rise, and the little girls all, okay, and they say, you know, in comes your father, the presiding judge over this, you know, he comes in, he sits down at the table, and uh, and uh, their mother was the prosecutor, right? <laughs> it's. Uh, did you talk back to me today? Did you, you know, not clean your room? Did you? Anyway, and he basically goes through this whole thing and does the prosecution. So the girls knew they were guilty, right? And so they go through the whole thing and they declare that, yes, they're guilty. They're guilty. Okay, okay, time for the sentence. The sentence is that they must get, you know, one spanking each or whatever. So they're going to get a spanking. And they, they agree, yes, they, that is, they did disobey mommy, they did disobey daddy, it's been a bad day, and we deserve it, whatever else. So it's now you know what it's time for, it's time for your spanking. And my brother says, wait, gets up, takes off his robe, and says, I'm going to take your punishment for you, okay? And the girl's, oh, what? You know, and so he comes over, my wife gets the, uh, I think they had a little paddle or something, <laughs> and he says, he told me later, he says, I thought she was just going to kind of just tap me. Was, oh man, <laughs> all of that pent up, you know, <laughs> he said, he goes, man, man, in Texas, we say, you know, she lit him up, right? <laughs> so, so, uh, so yeah, so he bends over and, and the girls are watching and their dad, you know, whack, you know, he gets a, he gets one for, you know, Kaylee, whack, one for Emma, whack, one for Abby and whack, you know, one for Bet. And, uh, and as this happens, the, the girls begin to weep watching their father take their punishment. And the reality of propitiation comes into their little hearts and realize. And they, then they sit down and talk and say, this is what Jesus has done for you in a, in, a, in, a small, in a small way. But think of the profound truth of this. He has taken our punishment upon himself. He has taken our punishment upon himself. And guess what? He didn't, he didn't wait till we got our act together, Right? To love us. Romans 5 8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. Christ loved us, and it was a supreme love. It was a supreme love. Well, moving on, it says, Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us. Christ's love for us was a sovereign gift. A sovereign gift. My wife, uh, one time for my birthday, probably 10 or it, it was maybe 15 years ago. Um, I, I, I love, everyone loves their birthday, right? I mean, I do. And, uh, and I like to be surprised. My wife doesn't really care about surprises and, and, and you know, she likes to, pick out stuff, but, but I want to be surprised. And so, uh, for this birthday, she came and, and she took me to this really nice restaurant. And then I'm, I'm waiting for, you know, Oh, what do I get for my surprise? You know? And she says, I'm going to take you to Kevin's candy store. I think Kevin's candy store. What's it? And, and when we go that you can, you can pick out whatever you want. 
So I'm thinking, what's Kevin's candy store? What's getting? Just, I'm not going to tell you. So we go to this restaurant in Westwood. We drive down. We park in this area that I wasn't familiar with. And we go walking down through these streets. And we come to this store, Flax Pen to Paper. Okay, now for me, I love, I, I love pens. My dad liked pens. And so, and, so, uh, and so she says, you know, you can go in. You can buy anything you want, right? The door's open, ah, right? And I walk in and there's beautifully lit, you know, like museum-type cabinets with, with lights on pens, you know, and all sorts of... And she's like, you know, it's Kevin's. You can pick whatever you want, you know? So, I, so every once in a while, a frugal side of me will kind of, you know, rear its ugly head, you know? And so I, I go and I, I bring back this, this pen and, and she says, and I go, this is the one I want, you know? And she looks at the salesperson and she says, how much is that? And she's like, this is, you know, thirty-two ninety-five. And my wife says, put it back. Put it back. I, I want you... I've saved up for this. I want you to pick out any, anything you want. The sales lady goes, cha-ching, <laughs> right? <laughs> Sir, you know, out of the, the, out of the archives, let me, let me show you from the vault. Let me show you the Starwalker, right? And she gets up this, this pen, you know, and oh, the way the ink flowed onto the page. And uh, so I got that, you know, and, I, and, I, and, and, and I've had that pen now for probably 15 years. And every time I write with it, I, I remember my wife. And I remember this gift is from, you know, her love for me. Now, as much as I cherish that gift, I cherish her even more, right? I cherish her even more. We all like gifts, and they remind us of our loved ones. But we cherish the loved one even more, don't we? I heard of a, uh, a man and a woman going through marriage counseling, and the woman had declared to her husband that, that uh, she was, uh, wanted a divorce, and she wanted to leave him. And he sat there in shock and awe. You know, what, what is going on? I don't know. He's totally dumbfounded. And he starts recounting to her all the things he's given her. And he says, but honey, don't you understand? I, I, look at your, the beautiful house I provided for you. Look at the car that you drive. Look at the clothes you wear. Look at the kitchen that I remodeled for you. All these things I gave you. And she says to him, yes, yes, that's true, dear. You gave me all those things. But the one thing that you didn't give me was yourself. The one thing you didn't give me was yourself. Jesus Christ gave himself up for us. And the most amazing gift, the most amazing gift is when the gift is the giver himself. When the gift itself is the giver. This is, this is such important doctrine. And it, and, it, and, it, and it calls to mind the doctrine of the hypostatic union which is that of, of God being, Jesus being both man and God. And we must realize that this is truth or we lose something very important. This is a quote from T.F. T. F. Torrance in this article called The Hypostatic Union. It says, It is important to see that if the deity of Christ is denied, then the cross becomes a terrible monstrosity. If the deity of Christ is denied, then the cross becomes a terrible monstrosity. If Jesus Christ is man only and not also God, then we lose faith in God and man. We lose faith in God because we cannot believe in a God who allows the best man that ever lived to be hounded to death on the cross. Is that all that God cares about, our humanity and its search after God, after truth and righteousness and peace? Put Jesus Christ, a man on the cross, and put God in heaven uh, like some uh, Mohammedan, Mohammedan deity 
imprisoned in his own lonely abstract heaven and you cannot believe in him, in such a God who is monstrously unconcerned with our life and who does not lift a finger to help Jesus. But if you deny the deity of Christ, we lose faith in man also. For that means that man is such that when he sees the very best, the very highest, the noblest the world has ever known, he crucifies it in spite and will have nothing to do with it except to hate it. Put God in heaven and Jesus, a man only on the cross, and you destroy all hope and trust and preach a doctrine of the blackest and most abysmal despair. Denial of the deity of Christ destroys faith in God and in man and turns the cross into the bottomless pit of darkness. But put God on the cross. Put God on the cross and the cross becomes the world's salvation. All the gospel rests upon the fact that it is God who became incarnate and it was God who in Christ has reconciled the world to himself. I have heard people say, that our doctrine of Jesus going to the cross for us is just so much uh, cosmic child abuse that God sends his son to the cross. And really, that would be true if it wasn't that Jesus himself is God. Jesus is God. John 10, 17, 18, Jesus says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. See, Jesus says, I lay down my life, that I may take it up again No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down again. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so Jesus himself, Jesus himself gives himself to us, and we should remember to be like him in those areas. Uh, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 again. It then says that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This sacrifice was a sweet sacrifice. A sweet sacrifice. In the Old Testament, in in, uh, Genesis, after the flood recedes, in uh, Genesis 8, verse 20, Noah comes out. And he says, Noah built an ark, uh, built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma... The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. So the Lord smells this pleasing aroma. And all through the Old Testament, as the sacrificial system is described and sacrifices are described, you have this description of God smelling this pleasing aroma. The the, the term pleasing aroma occurs more than 42 times in the Old Testament in regards to sacrifice. But is as pleasing as these aromas, this, these sacrifices are all through the Old Testament to God, as pleasing as they are, we know that none of them could really take away sin. For Hebrews 10.4 says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. No, it took, it took our Savior Jesus and His sacrifice to take away our sin. Isaiah 53 just listen to this. I want to read the whole chapter to you and just, just ponder these, these amazing words. Isaiah 53, the Word of God says, Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away and for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and numbered and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and and makes intercession for the transgression. R.C. Sproul says, regarding this sacrifice, he says, the sweetest fragrance, the most beautiful aroma that God has ever detected emanating from this planet was the aroma of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that was offered once for all on the cross. The most beautiful aroma. You can think of it, of, of, of God the Father crushing His Son, choosing to, to crush His Son, Scripture says. It was His will that He was crushed, that He was sacrificed for our iniquities. And as God looks over that, He smells that offering and says, this is the most beautiful fragrance I have ever smelled. Christ exhibited his supreme love by giving himself as a sovereign gift, as a sweet sacrifice to God. And all of that results, it results in a saved people. It results in a saved people. Now, how do those saved people live? How should they live? As Francis Schaeffer asked the question, how should we then live? Let's go back to Ephesians. Verse 1 then tells us, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. How should we live in response to what Christ has done for us? We know what he's done for us now. We see the gift. We understand it. We're saved. We should be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. My son um, Hayden has been able to come to church now for this. Last night was his fifth time. We've come like five times in a row. And it has been a, 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 a tremendous blessing because um, until this time, it's been about three and a half years that my wife and my son and I have worshipped together because of his immune system and uh, because of the chemotherapy. 
but uh, he's in a place now that he can come. And so, and so what a great blessing has been to come. And we were sitting in the back at first, but then he wanted to move up closer so he could see Alan on the guitar and see Mark on the drums on Saturday night and, and just be, be closer to the worship. And, and, um, and it's, it's, just, it's just a great blessing. And uh, so um, last week... We were at home, and, and Linda had gone to do some grocery shopping. We were, Hayden and I were having some men time, right? And so we're in the front room playing around and messing around, and, and all of a sudden he stops and goes in, and he gets his guitar. He's got this little quarter-sized guitar, and he brings it out, and he brings out a little microphone stand like this, okay? And so he brings it out, and he sets that down, and, and he's like, I'm going to sing a song. And it's like, okay. And so I sit on the couch, and he starts strumming. He can't play, but he can strum really good. Ching, 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 right? And, he's, and he starts going at it, just crazy. Ding, 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 ding. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little... And he sings the whole song, right? He's like, that's my favorite song, Dada. And I said, I love it. And so he sings the whole song. He finishes and he reaches over and he pulls the mic out of the mic stand. He says, can I get an amen? <laughs> right? I go, okay. amen, right? And he looks, he says, can I get a praise the Lord? And I say, praise the Lord. And he goes, can I get a we love you, God? <laughs> so I go, we love you, God. And I think, I think, at first I'm thinking, where is he getting this stuff? And then I realize, it's our, it, we've been to church now four times. He's been watching Alan up here, right? Watching the praise band. And you know how our beloved Alan, beloved, you know, he, he does, doesn't he? He leads us to the throne and he's, he says that, you know, amen, right? Can I get an amen? Praise the Lord, right? Hallelujah. And my son is imitating Alan. And it was such a, it was, it was such a blessing to see it. I, I, I loved it. Sometimes Hayden imitates me as well, but I'm not as uh, holy and pure as, as, as beloved Pastor Allen. And, and there are times, dads, right? You know what I'm talking about. There are times when our children imitate us and we wish that they wouldn't. Um, I was driving, uh, I, Hayden and I were out for a, another day out and uh, it was just me and him and we drove through Chick-fil-A. And so... Uh, <clears throat> I uh, drove through there and, and was ordering all this food and and uh, typical drive out thing you know you're anyway you, you should count every single thing right and look in the bag but you're, I'm always too you know too intimidated to stay there very long <laughs> so they gave me all the food and it was a really hot day and I was looking forward to a large lemonade okay and so I get all the food and it's, ah, it's all there it's all there okay and, uh, drive off get onto the freeway and look down and realize there's no large lemonade right. And as soon as I saw that, a word slipped out of my mouth, okay? I said, oh, ah, you know, and, uh, and then I immediately got, oh, I got really quiet, you know, and I, I'm looking in the rearview mirror to see Hayden in his car seat back there, and he's just sitting there, and I think, whew, dodge that bullet, and then about a minute, he goes, what that word mean? <laughs> so, well, um, sometimes... So sometimes uh, daddy says things that he shouldn't say. And so right now, let's pray. Dear God, please forgive daddy for saying words that we don't like to say that we shouldn't say. In Jesus' name, amen. Please forgive me, son, for saying that. Okay, dada. We drive along for about a minute. He goes, oh, uh -uh." right? And I go, so I said, son, please don't say that word. Let's pray again. Dear God, please forgive daddy for saying this. Please forgive me. Amen. About a minute later, oh, right? About a week later, we're driving down the freeway, the 605 freeway, and there's an exit there where the in and out is. And we're on the freeway. And uh, Linda's with me, and he, he, goes, he goes, Mama, look. 
There's where daddy says, uh-uh. Right? Okay. Oh, thank you, son. Thank you. Let's pray. Let's, let's pray now. Dear God, dear God, please forgive us. I, I, am, not the, I am not the perfect father. I, and neither are you, right? <laughs> neither are you. I'm not the perfect daddy. I'm not the perfect father, but we have a perfect father. And our beloved apostle Paul tells us, be imitators. Be imitators of God. Paul even says, follow me as I follow Christ. And I can say that, and you can say that as well. When I, follow me as I follow Christ. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. But the problem is, how can we imitate God? We've, we've never seen him. We've never seen him. How can we imitate God? Well, Jesus fixes that for us, doesn't he? He fixes that for us. John 14, 8 through 9, Philip says to the Lord, he says, Lord, show us the Father. And, and, and it, it's enough for us. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Sinclair Ferguson says, In his immense essence, the infinite God is invisible to our finite human eyes. Only in the face of Jesus Christ can we see God. Only in the face of Jesus can we see God. And we have seen him, haven't we? He's our pattern. He's who we imitate. And as we imitate Christ... We imitate the Father. And there's an amazing truth here. That as we imitate God in Christ, something amazing happens. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, 16 says this. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. As Christ leads us in triumphal procession, as we are saved and we follow after him, as we imitate God, the fragrance of Christ, the fragrance of God is being spread everywhere through us. And then look at this, verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. So, brothers and sisters, not only is it his sacrifice when God looks on his beloved son and smells that sacrifice and he says, that smells sweet, that smells good. It's a pleasing aroma. Now, when he he looks upon us because of Christ's imputation, he looks on us and he smells us and he says, you smell like you smell like Jesus. You smell like my beloved son. The passage goes on and says, uh, we're the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. So those who are being saved, we smell good. And among those who are perishing. So we smell both to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. So for those who, who God has called into his kingdom, as they see us living a Christian life, as they see us imitating God... They, they, the Holy Spirit quickens in them. They hear the gospel and they are saved and they, and it smells good. They look on the cross and see life. They see life from the cross. But those who are perishing, 
It's a fragrance of death. They look up on the cross and they only see death. Death to de- death. And to those, when, our, when we live a righteous life and imitate God, we stink. They, they can't stand to be around us. Luther said this, Through faith, you are so closely united with Christ that you can say with confidence, Christ's righteousness, Christ's victory, Christ's life are mine. And Christ in turn says, I am this sinner. That is, his sins, his death are mine because he clings to me and I to him. For through faith we have been joined together into one flesh and bone. Second Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. A supreme love, a sovereign gift, a sweet sacrifice and a saved people. Right doctrine, right living. Therefore, beloved brothers and sisters, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us. And I pray, Lord, even now, that your words would reverberate in our hearts. Lord, that you would peel away any sin, any impurity that is lodged in our hearts. Lord, I pray that as we see your beloved son and the sacrifice that that we would just be moved to turn, Lord, from our own sin and to turn to your cross. Lord, help us to appreciate your provision. Help us to stop trying to provide for ourselves, but to accept what you have done for us. And Lord, as we have a time now of confession and repentance, as our, as our elders are, are here at the front of the congregation and are here to receive us, Lord, Lord, we pray that if there are any here in this congregation, that they would, their own pride would be crushed. They would come to pray, come to receive blessing. Lord, we love you today. We pray that you would continue to help us to live as your people. Help us to imitate you, precious Father. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.